0: to the Easy Peasy Podcast, where we discuss living better through permaculture, mindfulness, decentralization, flow, freedom, agorism, anarchy, and more. Our mission is to solve life's complex problems with simple solutions. I'm your host, Mike the Polymath Whistler, coming from the Easy Peasy Shop in Indianapolis, Indiana, the crossroads of America. Thanks for joining.
1: be besides Britt the first person to hold a copy.
0: Hell yeah dude.
1: There's a lot of like
0: little proof tweaks and shit like that. So this is not the final version. No. So the next proof we are recording by the way. Okay cool. Welcome
1: back on the show Luke. (laughs) (laughs) Um so the uh I will make the little tweaks to that one um and then I'll order one more little proof run um just to make sure everything looks good like you can see on that the the way that the bleed and the cut is um on the cover you know it's like the s is close to the edge so it's like there's just some little cover tweaks and then little adjustments proof, yeah proof tweaks in the text and and then i also like to read it kind of for flow you know to make sure that you
0: know do i want to move this poem back do i want to move you know another one forward sure sure and
1: you know I'm sure it
0: feels a lot different finally, you know, holding it in your hand as opposed to mm-hmm. scrolling on your oh, yeah. word processor, right? Or do you do all your writing on a typewriter? Um,
1: so I do a good bit on actually, that just reminds me, let me turn.
0: Got a notification. Yeah, I should silence my phone <laughs> and silence my pup. He's pawing at his bowl. I'll be right back. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we can cut the dead air out. Sure. <clears throat> He always does this, right, when we
1: start recording. It's his routine. Yeah. His ritual.
0: Here you go, bud. Already had dinner. Don't be asking for food now. Um, oh, so yeah, anywho, uh, so that just came in what yesterday
1: yeah just yesterday which it uh, it's kind of an I don't know an odd feeling because that book uh, was set to be published um, in <clears throat> like late spring early summer 2020 um, and uh, you know I was close to the point where it is right now then um and then i mean it didn't have a lot to do with all the COVID stuff um although that slowed me up slightly um because i i likely would have had it published in april um if not you know just for the compression of all that and running a small business you know is like making adaptations but um but then uh my son nathaniel died in early May that year and I just couldn't fuck with it I couldn't focus on it you know yeah it wasn't I mean I didn't even want to um you know there was too much going on with the family and then so I just figured I would just reset it back a year till about the same time uh last year 2021 and then um after my wife and I separated and then we're getting divorced I was like well (laughs) you know, I don't, I'm not really in the headspace to publish a brand new book right now. So push it back another year. So it's, uh, I hope because really, um, the next three books worth of poetry, the next three poetry books worth of material, um is basically already written, and I don't want to just be two years behind for the rest of my life, you know so I'm hoping over the next year and a half to two years to catch back up, which means I'll be publishing faster than I you know than you write yeah. than I normally would but um but yeah it was an odd thing uh ended up getting it yesterday in the mail a day early and the previous book low shelf angels that one um covered which i I mentioned this i think last time i was here maybe but low shelf angels this book mixed fruit jelly and razor blades and then the next book um the zen of chopped onions they cover about a year or about a decade of my life um and the first book um it covers about six years and then this current book mixed fruit jelly and razor blades covers about three years and then the next book um we'll basically cover one year. Sure. Um, And which, this one drops off uh, right basically before all the COVID stuff started uh, in the world, Um, just for a marker of time. And then the next one picks up where this left off and uh, I'd have to look back, but it goes through uh, late last year, I guess. and, or the middle of last year. But because the previous book covered such uh, a long span of time, relatively speaking, and uh, um, I, I just realized I didn't put my headphones on yet. Yeah,
0: don't worry about it. <laughs> no, I, no, <laughs> I like having goggles. them on personally, but it's not
1: necessarily <clears throat> a
0: requirement. Yeah.
1: Um, but, you know... Those poems were spread out over about six years, and um, then I spent, in a a concentrated sense, longer in the publishing phase of it. You know, it was like, about six months, I had my hand in it every week, you know? Whereas this one, it was like two years ago, I was in that process toward Mm -hmm. the end, and then it ended up being delayed a year, and then another year. So, um, I haven't really had my head in this book a lot um you know i in the last two years which have been the hardest uh really of my life i've written more poetry in that span of time than i ever have in the same span of time um and so yeah i'm just kind of reacquainting with myself with um what's in it Uh, it's a little bit longer than the previous um which covers about half the amount of time as far as for my life, but it's a little bit longer and more poems. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really stoked about it. It's just got a ton of, you know, just different shit. I mean, I just kind of write down life mm-hmm. as I see it. You know, a lot of it's about me and my life. A lot of it is just about other people um, that I see, that I know. Um, sometimes it's strangers, sometimes it's, you know, friends or whatever. Um, you know, but everything from uh, fucking when uh, I was out in my garage and they uh, talked about bombing in Libya again uh, a few years ago, and I was listening to a Chet Baker album and sipping uh, sipping scotch. You know, I just started writing down some stuff about that to um, things about my kids, uh, my grandpa's UFO story that he told his entire life. Um, I don't think we got into that oh, previously. In well, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that we might have to circle <laughs> yeah, back to that story. To yeah. Them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's love, there's sex, there's uh, fucking lots of coffee shop excursions. Um, just cause so much happens, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at these types of places, um, you know, things that happen on the street, whatever. I mean, local stuff, traveling stuff, uh, you know, it's just an amalgam of things that that were there, and it's not like that's everything I wrote across
0: that span. You know, I mean, it's maybe a third. Sure, you know, sure, roughly. Well, I remember, I, I think it was the first time you came in and we recorded a show, but remember you saying something about how, for you, like you use poems <clears> as a way to try to capture a moment or a feeling or a specific point in your in your life or in someone's life or what have you. Yeah. Um, and I've found in the Sort of short time that I've been writing, um, you know, I really kind of kicked off writing what I consider poetry uh, about a year ago, or well, shit, I mean, it's been probably two years now because it was the summer, of, you know, all the protests and all that. Mm-hmm. So, whatever, I'm losing track of time these days. But I, I guess my point is, when I look back, which I hadn't really done until recently, on some of the stuff I wrote. You know, a year and a half ago or so I, I I look back and I almost forgot what I had written, and it's very like jarring and like it brings back those emotions mm-hmm. and I mean, since you had so much time kind of between doing the the editing of this book and finally publishing it, had you kind of like forgotten some of the poems in there, or yeah, at this point, are you so familiar with it that you just no. know it like the back of your hand I mean no, I mean
1: any of the poems when I see them it's like oh yeah I remember that poem but there are plenty that I I didn't remember necessarily were in the book until I was flipping through it um yesterday and uh um I was just double checking Now that was when we were bombing Libya not or I mean Syria I'm sorry as soon as I said Libya, I was like, I don't think it was Libya. It was well, Syria. Uh, you know, I don't think the yeah. fact checkers are on my case yet. <laughs> well, so. I'm I'm a stickler for, uh, <laughs> uh, for uh, Got to get the details right. Yeah, yeah. the details being mm-hmm. right. Um, unless they're subjective details, and then they don't have to be, like, objectively correct. Sure, either. sure, sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there were a few that I think because the, the passage of time has been so strange in certain ways mm. for many people, but just for me in the last two years was so much stuff that's happened, you know, it's, it's in that weird thing where some things it's like, I can't believe that was that far back. Other things, it's the opposite, you know? So there are a few poems in there. I was like, shit, I, I didn't even remember those were in there. I thought that was more recent than what would have been in there, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or some were kind of the opposite. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, well, and another thing too is, I guess... Um, I've been writing, I mean, I've written poetry my whole life, but at a pretty steady clip for almost 20 years now, um, and publishing almost for that same length of time, uh, along with being a singer songwriter. But there have been times when I didn't write, you know, maybe more than, I don't know, I have maybe 60 or so poems in a year or something like that. 50, 60 would be kind of on the lower end. Mm -hmm. Um and last year was not that it matters how many you know it's just what grabs a hold of me and what do i feel like i need to write down um but last year I, I think i ended up writing like 200 or something a little over 200 poems so and then the year before that was like 120 or something so the the fact that there's so much in between where this book left out and today you know it, it kind of dilutes. Like the memory of all all of it in my sure. in my head until I'm really reading through it, but uh it's yeah, been I, a lot of poems ago, in other words, yeah, it's been yeah. a lot of poems ago, yeah, um but I mean some of them you know I, I remember really well, um and then others you know. Uh, less so you know And I'm it's kind
0: of like reading something that somebody else wrote I was gonna say do you ever kind of like sit there and think what was I even thinking when I wrote this one or like you know like Um, do you do you lose track of the initial inspiration at times you know not really once I'm reading it like Uh uh
1: so for for example like if if I'm going through a day and I don't necessarily have time when there's some inspiration or something that catches you know my attention, as long as I write just a couple of little bullets, it's like that will then, that's like the key to the file cabinet, mm-hmm. you know? But if I don't have those couple of just little things, it can just vaporize. Like I will never get it back. I need that little mnemonic device of just a couple of, it could just be fragments. Of I totally, I totally you know? know what you mean. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But similar to that, once I'm reading, uh, you know, a poem that, that I wrote from before almost everything contextually about that floods back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was uh, talking last night to Brit, uh, my partner, girlfriend, Brit, um, who, you know, yeah, I'm um, just saying for context. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully new <laughs> listeners, you know, yeah, so yeah. 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 Um, about one of the poems in this book. And I said, that an, well, an ironic, I guess, thing about that was very juxtaposition to the topic of that poem was that was written on a day that just went to shit after that.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, um, completely the two things were unrelated. Um, but, you know, that's something that, like the reader would never know. But for me, it's like that poem brings up the memory of that yeah, day, it yeah. brings up the, the greater thing. Um, well, not the greater, but you know, the, the bulk of the rest of that day. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, um, I don't often go back and read my own stuff, but I I don't mind reading it. It's, uh, it's kind of like albums, you know, I know some artists love listening to their own shit, you know, Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that. You know, a lot of
0: people say that, you know, you should write the music or the book that you would want to read, yeah. right? Yeah, like no, that's I, that's I what I try that. to do with this podcast, mm-hmm. make the podcast I'd like to listen to. But at the same time, once you've had the conversation, it seems going back and listening to it a second time only has so much value. You sure. Know?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I would you know, probably like long form to commit to read listening to or listening to the first time a long form two hours of combo or an hour and a half is different than like popping in, you know, a song, a song, you know, it's it's less of a commitment. Sure. Especially if you're doing a lot of the, the podcast, but, um, but for me, one of the biggest, I guess, offices that the poetry has in my own personal life outside of publishing is it holds me accountable to who I am. Um, At the same time, it's like growth markers, like tree rings, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So it forces me to examine when I read old stuff, you know, like, this was my perspective. This was my my thought pattern, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, this was... um, Who I were. Yeah, yeah. Um, At that point. Who I was. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Make the grammar teachers. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it makes me reflect on that and gives me kind of a uh, comparison, you know, for where I am now. And um, Some things, you know, you can be like, oh, shit, you know, I've kind of like lost my way a little bit on this. I need to go back to this essence that I'm being reminded of, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Other times, you know, you can say, well, you know, this was an example of like a knife that had a decent edge on it. And hopefully present day is a knife that is a little bit, sharper than it was, you know, um, or the opposite, you know, could be true, I suppose. But, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, I guess I, I hope for readers that, um, that there's definitely some inspiration there. I mean, I very much write just for the common person. I am a common person and I don't suppose that, you know, I'll ever have any, uh, fame or fortune because I write poetry you know it's like yeah. out of everyone on the in America say you know the minority are readers and of the people who read the minority read poetry you know yeah so, yeah uh, nobody does it to get rich yeah yeah but one of the greatest joys I have about it is to use a uh, certain spiritual references like making converts you know people who thought poetry sucked or they don't like it or you know just whatever and then they read my shit and they're like, oh, man, you let, that grabs me differently than poetry I've read before, you know. Um, and uh, so I, when that happens, I take a lot of satisfaction in that. But, um, but, yeah, I hope people can learn from it. I mean, I have had kind of a, a strange life in a lot of ways. And I've tried to very faithfully uh, record a lot of the ups and downs and lessons. And, and lessons that are vicarious lessons, you know, through other people. Um, Mm -hmm. their stories, uh, you know, sayings, there are a couple of, uh, um, poems in there that reference like a saying that my grandpa had, or a saying that when I was at, uh, the coffee shop, when I was a little kid that I'd hear, you know, these old dudes, old world war two veterans, you know, and shit like that say. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just, uh. I always want it to be able to. I don't. I don't know if necessarily entertain uh, would
0: be exactly the word, but maybe captivate. Yeah, I mean, I you hope said that, inspire. I mean, that's the obvious word. But yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. You're trying to evoke something, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Well, so some of my favorite poetry, literature, whatever, uh, even like. I'm a big fan of stand-up comedy.
0: Yeah, I was literally about to
1: bring up yeah. comedy. Yeah. yeah. Um, some of that has been such a help to me at some of the hardest or worst times for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes me think, for example, like let's say if at a tough point in my life I'm reading, just because we're talking about poetry, a book of poetry that someone wrote 50 years ago. Um, and that's, that's making me chuckle at a time where I don't feel like chuckling. That's giving me some kind of uh, deep thought that's written in a simple way that I hadn't thought of before necessarily. That makes me think, what if five decades ago, this person on that day didn't write this? Right. Where would I be at this moment? So that, you know, the, the butterfly's wings that they flap back then are still, you know, breezing, as it were, uh, in my life today. And then that makes me feel a certain sense of duty as a writer to do my shit now. So that someday, whether it's two days from now or 10 years from now or 50 years from now, you know, on someone else's maybe great day or shitty day or morose, mediocre day or, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, whatever, that um, in the way that I've been helped through other people's writing that I can maybe help somebody else, you know, through, through my stuff.
0: Well, <clears throat> I was thinking about comedy cause, um, I find comedians to be very interesting people in general. And I think they're very like, <sighs> a lot of times they're very irritable, very easily annoyed. I feel like I heard some comedy or some comedian talk about how that's like one of the common threads amongst comedians is you know stuff annoys the shit out of them and that's what allows them to observe the you know observe the absurd right (laughs) and to comment on it and to tell stories about it you know it's like you wouldn't get there with the initial sort of visceral reaction (laughs) Um, so you know that whatever emotion that you know that that Poem that made you laugh that day you needed to laugh. Mm -hmm. That is an echo of someone's feeling from the past, right? Sure. And this is kind of something I've been thinking about because, as you know, um, in the last couple years since I've gotten to know you, a lot of my writing has been based on shit that irritates me, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm finding more and more that I... I don't want to echo irritation,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but I want to. I want to speak to the things that charge me up emotionally, get me get me worked up. But the art of doing it in a way that could make someone laugh, as we all know, is highly effective relative to just like screaming. <laughs> you know, and um, so I. I not to say I'm like. Ever gonna be a comedian, but I'm trying to have a more lighthearted attitude about stuff because, uh, frankly, it just wears you out to be like annoyed all the time. Um, and I don't know. D- does your writing ever come from like? I guess how do you how do you like navigate that? The um, I'm sure you get annoyed. I'm sure you get irritated. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure some of these poems are inspired from painful or you know negative sort of emotions.
1: Yeah. There's definitely. I would say, um, you know, a good deal of pain. Well, mixed fruit jelly and razor blades, the title that comes from the title poem, which is about reflecting on the loss of my dad. Um, and which I wrote right after I finished a book that was a memoir about his relationship, uh, or my and his relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was just uh, a, getting a, a little mixed fruit jelly packet at a Waffle House reminded me of being a child and going, when we'd run out of mixed fruit jellies, I'd go on these little missions to the other caddies, little jelly caddies on the tables, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And um, so, I mean, there's a lot of pain in life, more sometimes than others, uh, so when I feel that I write it down as far as like irritation or peeve or things like that. I don't write a whole lot from that frame. Um, not because I don't think people should, but for me, I think one being a father, um, and Caring a lot. I mean, spending the majority of my life because I had kids very young. um, Or I started having kids young. You know, nurturing and thinking about the next generation and stuff like that. Uh, And I do tend to have a pretty optimistic disposition in general. I mean, that's where I lean. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, you know, any given day, you know, it's like layers of, you know, shit could fall on your head. Sure. Uh, take you out of your zone a little bit, but I mean, kind of where I'm at, at, like in a stasis emotionally. Um, But it's a very present thing for me that knowing that most people have one or more struggles going on in their life at any given time. There are, I think, um, there's an almost no end of people who can complain about shit. Uh-huh. Now there's a lot to complain about. Um, there's not a shortage of people that can, you know, have say snark, like real snarky humor, talk about like everything that's just fucked up, you know, blah, blah, blah. Great. um, the minority of people, I think, have the ability to give some answers to how to fix anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's if you think about just uh, as a as a metaphor, how quickly if you were to take a sledgehammer or a baseball bat and put it in the hands of just you know your average person that knows nothing about cars. And say you have two minutes to do as much damage to this vehicle as you can. All right. Almost anyone relatively able-bodied could do a massive amount of damage in just Mm -hmm. minutes. Mm -hmm. Now, how long would it take uh, an auto body expert to fix that? What percentage of the people who could easily do the damage to tear it apart could, if they wanted to, repair it? You know? So... I try to lean as hard as possible in, even in the shitty things, finding something positive or at least a lesson from it. Remaining constructive. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, Trying to be constructive. And I just feel like, uh, for example, like you talked about stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of... Uh, comedians tend to, you know, there, because there's so much negative to harp on, it's easy to harp on the negative. It's a minority that are more built around constructive. Neither are wrong. I mm-hmm. laugh at both. Mm-hmm. But I think just raw numbers, you know, uh, the majority, it's like all the shit to hate on. Because it's funny, you know, I mean, it's harder to be funny and positive at the same time. Or at least riff both ways, you know.
0: It is harder to do. It mm-hmm. is. You're, you're, you're hitting on and I'm I'm I've got a few thoughts, so bear with me. All right. One is that I am is that important?
1: No, I just okay. I I thought I completely signed
0: up. <laughs> no sweat, I thought that was ringing. Anywho, um I had an interesting interaction with someone I know at the bar, right? Mm-hmm. A fellow sort of regular at this bar and it was one of these sort of exchanges where it's men bantering and, and blowing each other shit, right, as men are prone to do, sure. and having fun about it for the most part. Good-natured? It's good-natured-ish, ish. Yeah, you know? in this
1: situation, I'm just asking. Yeah.
0: It, it kind of got to a point where it wasn't, right? Mm-hmm. Started off as kind of like playful back and forth, you know, go fuck yourself, this and that, ha ha ha. Yeah, you know, we're just playing, and you know, a couple comments are said that are just like a little too. You know, I'm basically saying I I felt like it was like a, a step too far, mm-hmm. trying to be funny like, at someone ex someone's expense. There's a dance to be had there, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to groups of guys. This is very common. This is like I think it's partly biological. It's a way of, sort of sorting out the strong, you know, basically if you can't take a lick, don't, don't hang, you know, but you have to be able to recognize when like the respect is lost or I don't know if I'm, I'm tracking here, but the whole idea of like negative default or negativity bias, we, we poke fun first instead of complimenting. Yeah, You know, a lot of times. And when it comes to comedy, you know, I think of a guy like... <laughs> you can take it if you need to, man. We're in no rush. No, go ahead. Um, send a message. I'm thinking about Dan Carl Or, I'm sorry, not Dan Carlin. George Carlin. You know, are you very familiar with George Carlin? Yeah, pretty So, yeah. he was a very sort of negative comedian. But he... In my mind, he wielded sort of words as a means of creative destruction, right? And he would kind of like break down your belief system. He would make fun at everything you ever held like as an assumption. Mm -hmm. And he had no like hesitation to, to basically call every single person out in the room equally like as... Morons, like we're all fucking morons, kind of thing. Um, But that idea of sort of like creative destruction, sort of breaking someone down, not in any kind of violent way, or, you know, we're talking about voluntary exchanges of ideas and conversations that nobody's being held. You know, it's like I had the freedom during that exchange with, you know, this guy to get up and walk away Mm -hmm. or to just. Take it and fucking finish my drink and fucking call it a night, you know? It's like, and that's what I did. I just kind of like was like, all right, well, he's kind of an asshole, but I'm not going to like, I'm not going to fight this fucker, you know? Like, it's not worth it. You know, he's just kind of a dick and like the fun is over, you know? That's that. No no real harm, no foul, you know, kind of thing. But I, I... I don't want to, like, use that strategy of trying to break someone down a little bit, their ideas, right? Yeah. I don't want to overdo it. You know, it's like I think Dan Carlin was a – I, I keep saying Dan Carlin. He's a podcaster. I know who you mean. George, George Carlin. George Carlin. <laughs> yeah. He was a – I mean, he was like a surgeon,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, cutting at your ideas just a little bit at a time and making you laugh the whole fucking way through. Mm-hmm. Now, he, you know, he had a real gift, Um it's kind of like there's something about using the negative for positive, you mm-hmm. know. It's like tai chi or whatever.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of what I've seen with Carlin is it was <clears throat> very much like an if the shoe fits wear type of thing. Mm-hmm. He was kind of speaking in mass. You know, yeah. it's not like he was yeah, I mean, I there could have been some of his that I missed, but I've over the years seen a good deal of his. It's not like he's picking out individual people and pointing at them in the crowd and hammering on them. You know, he's like we do this. We're fucking idiots. Like this is stupid. This is how the government is. This is how this is. It's always this is how people are. It's know? always
0: you know another thing people do yeah. that drives me crazy. You know, yeah. it's never directed at anybody. Yeah, um, yeah in particular.
1: But uh, it, it was very witty, very pithy. You know, all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so what you were saying about your uh, your buddy, where it was getting tense. So there's a thing that which I, I need to get around to writing about it at some point, but I call it the paradox of offense and as it relates to interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. So I think a very interesting feature of human relationships is that the thing that when you do not know each other well would be extremely incendi it could be extremely incendiary, offensive, maybe cause a fight. Mm -hmm. And you're on on one side of a gradient where you're, say, strangers or barely know each other. Sure. On the complete opposite side of that gradient where any two people that used to be strangers have become acquaintances and then they've become friends and they've spent time and years and all this and progressively kind of taken their armor off as they go... Because they feel safer with one another progressively, they also feel like they can be more vulnerable. When you get to the complete other end of that, you will do and potentially, I mean, this is within bounds. Obviously, you know, what's one person's boundaries or sensibilities might be different or are different than the next. But just speaking generally. Mm-hmm. um say there's a guy on the street and you walk by and accidentally bump shoulders and uh you know you both turn around look at each other and if that guy were to say something like uh
0: fuck you bitch watch where you're going yeah yeah yeah,
1: that would be a hell of a situation okay let's say You could have met that same person at work or whatever, at school, you know, whatever, at a bar. And then you got to know this person over the years, became friends, took your, you know, your armor off progressively as you go. A sign of your closeness now is that when he comes in the front door, he's like, what's up, bitch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what you are tacitly saying to each other is, I care so much about you and I trust you so much. I have now, we can now do... A form of emotional swordplay. Yes. Verbally. Yes. Because we know neither of us is really going for blood. Right. And by doing that, you are uh, manifesting almost ultimate closeness mm. by doing things that otherwise would be offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But that is a very delicate dance because very so like with your buddy right whichever one over kind of overstep bounds or whatever now that gives an opportunity the next time around to be like hey that thing you said that was going too far whether you intended to or not i don't like to be joked with that way Mm -hmm. and then you kind of like regroup reset on that and that would actually cause you to be stronger friends if you get to the other side of that but then if one or both lets that offense keep festering, then it rolls the thing backwards, you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, I do think it's a, uh, it's a very uncanny thing about humanity that the closer we get, the more we tend to be able talking about comedy to rib with one another yeah. in ways that would in any other context be caustic, but you know, uh, it just is. Not only is it not caustic; it's actually a a sign of affection, if you both reach there together. You know, mm-hmm. like one of my oldest buddies. Uh, he lives out of state, but we Facebook message, you know, or whatever, or talk occasionally. And almost every single is somewhere in every single exchange. We're gonna call each other a name,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, uh,
1: or just like roast one another in some way that's just ridiculous you know it has no bearing you know in reality um but there's a little uh you know like it's like a little hug you know it's a little (laughs) yeah yeah, (laughs) a little thing you know uh it's saying to one another really at the end of the day i love you enough that i will let you mess with me a little bit i'll mess with you a little bit and we know that this means nothing yeah you know um, except for that we're close enough to mess with one another.
0: You know, so I guess bears the question to me, like when it's not a close buddy, mm-hmm. or I guess I <laughs> suppose if it is, maybe especially if it is, but there is a line crossed, you know, like obviously whatever, situation to situation, you got to handle things on their own. But it's like at a certain point for your own Sake for your own self-respect, mm-hmm. you have to say something. You have to make clear it's serious. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you know, you, you kind of doing the soft sell, but like sometimes, you know, it's just like I guess my my bigger question, right, is like there are acts that people can do or things they can say that would basically require like a firm negative response
1: yeah got to check them
0: you got to check them and to me like on a grand scale this whole you know i'm not trying to get political i'm just saying like the thing i've been so annoyed about so (laughs) irritated about generally speaking has been this vax passport issue Mm -hmm. we don't even have to fucking talk about that i'm just pointing out that like to me that's the thing that's like okay we're not joking around no more you know what i mean like um Again, I'm like, I guess I'm trying to excuse my tone. <laughs> and I really, that's not what I should be doing. Again, I want to be constructive. But, like, we're talking about this dance of, like, creative destruction and being a little bit, you know, using that negative energy, that negative force, that dark side of the yin-yang. yin, yin yang. And, like, to me, um been hard to turn off Mm -hmm. you know but i am feeling a shift i think there is a genuine like culture shift going on where people are starting to maybe they don't want to admit that they were wrong or anything but they're kind of like uh maybe we like let this get out of hand you know it's like we don't want to we don't want to take full responsibility but like People are starting to think differently about the structures around us, and you know, I'm I'm obviously trying to be part of that conversation with this podcast. Uh, I guess I'm not sure what my point is here exactly, but to say that, like, (laughs) for anybody that cares that happens to be listening, I am I am trying to change my tone a little bit, but you know, I'm still angry. You know, and what do you what do you do about that? I like I keep thinking back and almost trying to empathize with. People who have been alive during periods of great transformation of the past. You know, wars of independence, wherever they happen to be. You know, humanity gets to a point where people are willing to basically say, fuck you to the point of going to war. And mm-hmm. none of us want that. Man, I'm like, I'm jumping all over here. Look, are, you're, 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 you're tracking with me yeah my point is like I don't want to be a a catalyst for hatred or for bloodshed or any of that but I do want to be a catalyst for you know basically revolution a nonviolent revolution so I guess my question then would be what's the most effective means of doing that <laughs> you know I think poetry can be a useful thing you know, it's a form of rhetoric. It's a form of expression. Um, speech is another, hence the podcast. Uh, but tone is important and it's kind of like, God, I wish I was as funny as George Carlin. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I really do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we could use him
1: right now. Yeah. He would, he would definitely be, I think, uh, having some really interesting takes on all kinds of different things, but, mm-hmm. um, oops. So, I think, um, now I'm just 44. So there's a lot of people that would be like, you know, young man, you know, and there's other people that would be like, you're old as fuck. But, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I've lived enough, uh, time to see, multiple times of, you know, crisis or supposed crisis Mm -hmm. or, you know, multiple different presidencies and different, um, you know, times and seasons in the United States and the world and all this kind of stuff. Um, and so it's very easy to let things that are going on in the macro as it were, not that they're not important, Mm -hmm. um, Define and control your, I don't mean unimportant, but like micro in the sense of, you know, microcosmic uh, life. And I think for any change, whatever it may be, whether it's a positive change or a negative change, Mm -hmm. normally there's, you know, a stew of some of all of it going on, you know, colliding and bumping into one another chaotically. Uh, But If society is made up of individuals and, you know, families and people groups and friend groups and partnerships and all this kind of thing. Um, You know, start with the smallest elements and then kind of like extrapolate it as you get toward the the largest of those. Um, Change accumulating from the bottom up, I think, is the most natural and is the way... That is the most healthy for any culture or society. Just to say if you're making positive change, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very hard to to really create change um, in a kind of like a... Well, okay, so you can create a lot of situational change by force. It's very hard to change people's minds by force, mm-hmm. you know. Damn near impossible. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, it's the opposite. It'll reinforce the opposite, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. just because kind of our nature. But generally speaking, Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm very much a person who I have kind of a I don't know different than average way of going about things. Usually, Mm -hmm. Um, in my own personal life, I don't impose that on other people, but. I think some of the greatest change that can be affected starts small, starts just in a person or in a relationship or between two or three people, you know, uh, it can start to turn the tide. You know, you think about morale could be down at a workplace. Well. It only takes a few people sometimes to turn that tide. On the other hand, it can be great, and it only takes a few people to turn it the other way. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Um, but in whichever direction that the momentum is building, um, you know, I just think that for anybody, you know, it's kind of a. I don't think it is ideal for whatever's going on in your life, as far as your purposes, just be accidental. I think it's something that people should think about, you know, uh, I only have, you know, whoever the I is, I only have so many years on this earth and that's unpredictable, Mm -hmm. you know, so what do I want to accomplish? All right. I need to earn some kind of a living. That's a given, you know, there's just certain kinds of things that we have to do to get along in this world. But beyond that, what kind of a person do I want to be in this world? How do I want to orient myself toward everything else around me, whether it be locally or in some larger sense. And then, you know, once a person knows that, then to come up with some sort of a, a plan, you know, to, to execute that. And if that plan is just something as simple as every day when, you know, say it's a, a parent who stays at home and works from home, and they have some kids at home and some kids at school. If they're like, what I want to do every day is wake up, be a positive force in my kids' lives. Um, I want to try to be an example of when there are problems, finding constructive ways to do that, to teach them the same thing. I want to be as good as I possibly can at my job or my business or my career or whatever, you know, or that. And uh, I want to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to take care of myself emotionally and physically. And then you just do that every day, you know. Uh, but... Um, I do think that there is no shortage of people um, who are very much out of their depth, and it's very easy to criticize things that are far away. So it's easy for a person's own life, for example, to be in shambles, and the way they distract themselves from dealing with that is to, like, Jump up a couple orders of magnitude and be like, oh, this is all fucked up. So they spend all their time perhaps like, I don't know, like first thing that pops in my head. Okay. Military industrial complex. There's Mm -hmm. always wars. There's always going to be, you know, war hawks that are trying to make money for these big companies that make armaments, blah, blah, blah. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, if my life's not going right and I don't want to attack my own personal problems, I can jump all these levels out and be like, oh man, look what this person's doing or this person's doing. These people I will never meet. I have no impact over. They have damn near no impact over my life, if any. And I could spend hours and days and years festering about all these problems that are so far away. I can never touch them in any kind of way that would ever be helpful. And at the end, and at the whole time, I'm ignoring Things in my own life day-to-day that I could 100% change I could 100% impact and then you just look at like if If I were a better version of myself, what impact would that have on my sphere of influence and then? What could the ripples be of that going outward, you know? Um, so Form and this is just for me, you know, there are uh, Definitely you need people who are making change on the macro who are doing that think we just had martin luther king day i mean um you know that's an example of a life that was spent in the small and the big trying to impact change for for the good of humanity and people you know in general and um uh, african americans and other minorities that were not um being treated fairly and that's awesome um, most of us will never be able to make an impact on that level But we can all make an impact in the small mm-hmm. we, as, as long as we're living and breathing We have some kind of a voice And we can do some kind of actions We can be kinder than less so To the person who we grab uh, sweet tea at McDonald's from mm-hmm. uh, We can be more helpful than less so when we choose to, to other people in our family, our friends, you know, whatever um, We can choose to be kinder to ourselves, you know, uh, and take care of ourselves a little bit better, you know So I guess for me, and this is just for me, anyone else can do what they want um, I try to start small, I try to very much invest as much of my energy as possible directly to the people that are in my life or people, you know, strangers that I come across, whatever. Um, Because I think that the larger I scope out, there are diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. And because I want to, I, I hope that my life can be as impactful as possible with however long it is, I want to invest my energy where I think it's going to have the most payoff. Um, and do the most good ultimately right right. so um for whatever that's worth to anybody you
0: know no it's i mean it's really good advice you're i mean you're you're not wrong man um you gotta like you're if you're not good to yourself you're not good to anyone in in a nutshell and um you know it's basically no good to like obsess on stuff you know i i take an active kind of stance um and at times, it's it's probably bordered on obsession. You know, I think I, I heard somebody talking on a podcast recently. I can't remember which one. You know what it was? Is Rebel Wisdom, which it, to me is probably the most even-tempered um, sort of. They they talk a lot about what they call the sense-making crisis, and they were talking about how as a culture we're basically addicted you know everybody knows we're addicted to outrage but what what i found very you know insightful was um, basically an addiction to they said we have an addiction to insight mm. which i thought was an interesting thought you know and i've been kind of like reflecting on that but i know you got to take a leak he gave me a little signal there maybe we hit the pause i'm going to i'm going to I'm going to feed the fire. I'm going to check on the pup. And uh, yeah, we'll come back. But let's keep that in mind. Addiction to insight. You know, All it's right. like I'd never heard anybody float that idea out before, but those words kind of ring true to me. Yeah. And yeah, I think there's a lot of people that really just want to understand and have a plan and know where to go from here. And we're like grasping at truths. And it's kind of like, well, that only gets you so far. Yeah, maybe so. We'll I don't know. Put a,
1: we'll put uh, it. We'll. We'll put a pin right in back that. To that. We'll yeah. put a
0: pin in that. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Back at it. How'd it go in there? It was fine. It was unremarkable <laughs> and un... <laughs> nothing well, special. I was rooting for you.
1: <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, so the insight, so we don't forget about it. So being addicted to insight, it would, obviously I didn't hear anything. I mean, I, I didn't hear the, uh, source that you did, but Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, uh, it's definitely easy to be constantly, you know, thinking about what you're going to do and never do it, you know, uh, or constantly deviating plans so that, the original thing can never completely <laughs> be seen through, you know, um, which, you know, wouldn't necessarily be helpful uh, in a lot of ways in life, personally, in business and otherwise. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, um, I mean, anyone can fall down a rabbit hole on anything, you know, these days.
0: Well, so what these guys kind of were talking about, is it just me, or is it kind of echoey all of a sudden? Oh, I might just be
1: not not too much, but
0: that's you. Hang on. Check check. <clears throat> Anywho, I might just be stoned. Um, they were talking a lot about sort of they kind of frame it as with all this COVID shit, right? Mm-hmm. In essence, you have thesis and antithesis. antithesis. Mm -hmm. Am I saying that? Antithesis. Um, Basically, most folks are currently absorbed by one or the other. Sort of, we're going along with with what we're told, the thesis. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, fuck that, no. (laughs) Antithesis. Antithesis. Um, I keep thinking I'm saying it weird. Anywho, you know, the idea being, like, they talk a little bit about sort of how this idea of like hive mind and how people get sort of, um, you know, it's, it's a herd instinct, frankly. Um, and sort of being aware of it is, is a good start, you know, and being basically they're, they're arguing for ultimately like taking a critical look at all of it. Right. Looking at your own bias and all that. Um, In particular, not to say that there aren't times where, you know, it's like, yeah, it it kind of is right or wrong at times, you know. Um, But to not get so swept up with it that you can't um, sort of judge when perhaps your side isn't right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it can go both ways. Um, But like... (sighs) I don't know. You know, I, I I'm beginning to understand why people go to war. As terrible as that sounds, it's just like you, you can see the the psychology play itself out a little bit of of growing tension and growing like animosity. And I don't want to feed that. I re- you know, I really don't. Um, But you know, I I didn't get "Live Free or Die" tattooed on my shoulder for nothing. You know what I mean? Um, So, I I don't know what to tell you. I guess except that, um, golly, yeah, it's really a bummer. George George Carlin's dead. He died like ten years too early. (laughs) Yeah. Um, He'd be he honestly he would. I have no doubt in my mind which sort of side of the fence he would fall on here. Uh, You know, he was always a liberty minded guy, Uh, but he probably would have been highly insightful about the truth of the disease, uh, you know, and and wouldn't deny that side of it either. You know, we need like, I think comedians, you know, it's no wonder Joe Rogan is like people are turning to him of all people (laughs) for answers. It doesn't mean he knows it all. He admits he don't, you know, and like I'm not the biggest. Joe Rogan fan. It kind of sounds like I'm, you know, fanboying him right now. But it's kind of a, it's an interesting thing to observe that in just a very short period of time, uh, you know this this podcast would have more listeners than CNN has people watching, and like he effectively has a, a he has more persuasion than. Any major me, you know, media news outlet, and uh, it's it's because of this this desire for insight, you know, and and it's easy to convince yourself once you pick a side, say, that like everything you hear from anyone on that side is probably correct, and that's not necessarily a, a good kind of way to handle things. Um, no, but at the same time, you don't want to, uh, you don't, if, you know, it's like, I I have full respect for anybody who is on the thesis side of this for valid reasons. Um, As long as they don't want to impose like any, I'm kind of, I'm kind of trying to get at the point that I don't really care what your opinion is as long as you, you know, respect that underlying value of freedom. But when it comes to the hive mind thing, we do get kind of swept up into it. Like it or not, you know, even even you know the best of people can be persuaded to believe something that is inherently false or even dangerous. You know? And that goes for fucking everybody, man. I'm just realizing, like, I think it people don't like hearing it, but we are way more of a herd species than... We want to admit.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely we tend toward, you know, the tribal. Mm -hmm. um, Which, I mean, definitely over, you know, a a very long time and the growth and evolution of our species had an office. I mean, we were functionally organized in small tribes and, you know, uh, I mean, you know, In certain areas of the world, others were different, but um, that is truly something that can run amok, um, you know, confirmation bias, um, wanting to, you know, just be in a group or a place or whatever that just is an echo chamber for whatever the thing is, whether that be religious notions, whether that be political notions, um, and, or, you know, any other types of things. Uh, it could, you know, be sports, you know, I don't want to go to that fucking sports bar down there. Everyone's for this team. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be the one guy there wearing the other team, shit, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but, uh, for me, I, I've always very much enjoyed, um, Sure, debates, but but more. I love to see people from two or more opposing angles of an issue or a thing, whatever it is. You know, mm-hmm. um, political affiliation, faith affiliation, whatever. In conversation, um, and I think that's one of the things that uh, the Rogan podcast has very much now. You can definitely have fanboys, girls, fan, fan humans that are mm-hmm. geeking out and it's like whatever Joe Rogan says is a gospel or something. But what I value is the format, mm-hmm. uh, long format conversations with people who, uh, guests as it were, that fall on various different sides of certain issues, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, I very much believe in letting ideas be spoken and then be tested. Yeah. yeah. Um trying to shut up whatever the other party is, I, I don't mean politically necessarily, but just whatever the other side is, or you know, you many times can see in history how there was a group of people who did not have the microphone, as it were. Right. And when they didn't have it, they were a very liberty-oriented type of group about whatever it was, you know. Um, and then once it goes to the other side to where there's enough growth and then that group has the microphone, then they try to silence the other group, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And and this is kind of a pendulum that swings back and forth. I mean, um, many societies you can see, you know, go from... A side of being more puritanical to more libertine on the and it's kind of a back and forth because one of our greatest uh, faults I think as human beings is we tend to overcorrect in our in and that starts in our own personal lives yeah yeah Um, and so you know instead of like for example you know you have a person that uh, maybe is this is just some example popping that you have a person that's way out of shape. Okay. They do not at all watch what they eat. They don't exercise. They don't take care of themselves. And then the pendulum swings, you know, they come to a point of crisis or like, I need to fix this. I got high blood pressure. This, I can't bend over time. My shoes, you know, can't see my dick anymore or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. a person that has a dick. Um, and <laughs> yeah, it would be less of an issue if you didn't have one. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I catch your drift. Yeah. But anyway, um, And, uh, and I'm speaking as a guy that's lost a decent amount of weight over the years. Um, but their pendulum starts to swing the other direction. And instead of kind of like ending somewhere in the middle Mm -hmm. where it's a moderation, you know, it's like, I am going to take care of myself, but that doesn't mean I can't have a cookie every now and then I can't enjoy my life, you know, blah, blah, blah. They can swing all the way to the other side where not only are they misering every calorie, Mm -hmm over-exercising to the point that their knees are going out, mm-hmm. but they're making life hell for everybody else around them because they're bitching at them about, oh, are you sure you want to eat that? Oh, blah, 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 this, that, and the other. Yeah. You know, and we just, we tend to overcorrect, you know. Yeah. Um, and societies also do that many times, you know. Um, not always, but sometimes. You know, it's it's uh, uh, a strange thing, but... Um,
0: you know the issue of freedom i don't know that we've ever um overcorrected you know what i mean mm-hmm. it, it seems to me that the closest we came to correction was basically the the dawn of this country you know and i don't try to over like um i don't try to like what do they call it like uh i don't know founder worship or whatever mm-hmm. you know what i mean these people were flawed like we all know that they were flawed and the words on on the constitution don't necessarily jive with the practice of slavery which they you know had at the time blah 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 but that's almost ever since you know i am very interested in the fact that we as biological entities um don't necessarily jive with the version of civilization we currently have and it seems to me that the further we get towards having our our daily lives managed by some overarching authority in the in all ways, you know, important or otherwise, right? The the closer we get to that level of management, the further we are from what is our biological norm, in essence, um, which is inherent sort of basic freedom. Right. That is the biological norm. That is every creature on this planet, it seems to me, except the poor ones in the zoo and and for us, you know, like (laughs) and I hope uh, I hope I'm not missing the point here, but it's like in terms of societies overcorrecting, culture's overcorrecting. You know, I, I'm constantly playing this game with myself. I don't want to call it self-doubt, but it is a version of self-criticism. Like, I'm very self-aware, I, I believe, almost to a fault, probably. But it's like this issue isn't... I've been fairly uncompromising, I'll say. Because I think um, it's it's one of those things. You know what I mean? And... Like, compromise is not always correct, if you catch my drift. Sure,
1: yeah. I mean, you wouldn't want to compromise with uh, someone who's going to enslave you. or
0: You know, you brought others. up, you were talking about the microphone, and it's like, the power of the microphone is, is in, in, immense. Mm-hmm. The power to influence, the power to spread ideas, good and bad, mm-hmm. right? You wouldn't have Hitler without the microphone in essence. Probably and frankly, it didn't take that long from the invention of the loudspeaker and the microphone to the first psychotic tyrant <clears throat> that was able to, I mean, I guess you had you had Napoleon, you had Caesar, this, that and the other, but like and there were genocides, right? I mean the the Mongols, I guess people who have been doing this but maybe you can't make that argument, I suppose. But there is power in the microphone in terms of it makes what was otherwise spread through, I, I suppose, word of mouth. You, know, you can only throw your voice so far mm-hmm. to, you know, you have direct contact, mm-hmm. somewhat direct contact. And I've always tried to sort of wield my, you talked about the sword play, right? Yo. I, I always have felt bad when, when anyone has ever taken anything I've said like personal, because I really don't mean it that way. Um, what I'm trying to do is play this game of sword play and kind of like, like you said, um, say like, I, I respect y'all enough to not shut up about this. You know what I mean? Like, because it's that important. And it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to be the weirdo that, that, keeps kind of like saying this, this freedom thing when not a lot of people are like going to be so assertive about it because, um, you know, it's like I, at times I have reflected on myself and said, you know, dial it down, dude, (laughs) you know, but it, I mean like, did any great like writer dial it down, you know? I I always think about Ed Abbey, yeah, you know, and he he was a force of creative destruction, inspirational, you know, creative. But he he advocated for sort of all out warfare against what he thought of as basically the mega machine, which is destroying Mother Mother Earth, you know. And I'm beginning to see his point of view because it is. I mean, it's like. There's a time and place to be uncompromising, in my mind, you know, and like I think that time is now. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm maybe mm-hmm. I'm over. Um, maybe I'm putting too much importance on what's happening in the, in our day, you know, right now. But like, it feels pretty fucking important to me, you know.
1: Yeah. Um, so. As a, for instance, like, this, the things that are pervasive in, uh, say, the news cycle right now. Mm-hmm. Um, if you hit rewind, say, five years or 10 years or 15 years or whatever, whatever it was, um, many of those things, some, some were, you know, it's like shit going on between, you know, The primary two political parties, that's always been a feature. But as far as things that are, you know, whether it be COVID or some present crisis. If you hit rewind, before this one, there was another one. Before that one, there was a one before that. When this thing is now become the next thing, it's going to be about that. Fast forward another 10 years, it's going to be about that next thing. There's there's always going to be some kind of divisive fear cycle get on this side or that side of the thing, whatever the thing is, that's never, I don't think, going away as long as we have mass media. Um, and we can, I think, follow the the bouncing ball of whatever that is. Um, but... And you can only opt out so much from, like, life, but uh, as far as, I mean, it could be pop culture, it could be whatever, you know, you can always opt out of something, though there may be a penalty, depending on what that thing (laughs) is, um, to the extent to where at least it's not defining, uh, I, I say you are, I mean anybody. Um, your life mm-hmm. because you could have For, for this is maybe a, a, kind of a goofy analogy but let's say uh, you were some kind of billionaire benefactor and you wanted to make a person as free as they could possibly be so you go buy an island you find the person and you say all right I have built you an amazing house. You have like, you're self-sustaining. All this kind of, you know, this kind of thing. I'm going to sign this over to you. This is going to be your place. It is, you know, outside of any other jurisdiction or whatever. You're going to be the most free person on the planet. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. you put them on that island, and they say they want to go. If that person, once they get there, chains themselves to a tree, they're not free. Now, were they free to make the decision? Sure. But it's not just, I don't think, a matter of a person living in, say, a society or a political system or whatever that is free. And that is like the magic bullet to being free. Because any person could put themselves under, you know, uh, a situation where they're addicted to things that are destructive to their life. Um... And then they're they're free in maybe the, say, in the big sense, but they're not free in their own day-to-day because maybe they're always out there trying to get that next fix. You know what I mean? Or you could have a person that is in a less free system, but because of how they've oriented themselves in life toward the system, practically speaking, they're living more freely. So... I know this is kind of like a intangible uh, kind of thing I'm trying to dial in.
0: I'm tracking. Yeah. But
1: a person, to a certain degree, can, can, within the system that they live under, dramatically impact their own lives, how practically free they are or they aren't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, now, you could build things into comparison you can say well if a person is in solitary confinement how freak they really be okay i'm not talking about these like outlying situations i'm speaking generally yeah um so um you know i i have very or would claim to have very few answers about any of these huge problems um and I don't really pretend to. I have ideas about certain things or whatever. But um, just f- for me, because of how I try to interface with the world that I live in, I don't, like... I guess I I, I might find myself less than the average person impacted by the stuff going on as, as far as, like, news level. Mm-hmm. Um, because I some good span of years ago, I kind of knew how I wanted to live in this world. And that's what I started doing. And there's been different presidents in and vice presidents and battles and crises and things going on in the world. And, you know, I still try to just do what I'm doing, you know, to a greater or lesser extent. But I mean, any person can obviously reach an impasse in their lives, but, um, you know, uh, but I mean, for me, having lost people in my life, you know, um, that I think, uh, you know, kind of that memento mori type of sensibility that at the end of the day, life is fleeting. So try to make it mean as much as you can that just makes me not worried about a bunch of shit that's out of my control for the most part
0: memento mori is that i'm i'm trying to (laughs) don't give it away yet but memento would be something about memory and mori would be death yes so living knowing that you will die die. yeah okay that's what Uh, i figured that's what i figured
1: yeah which i i have (laughs) i kind of left some time (laughs) I always just the fucking weirdo. Like, I remember, uh, I, I almost cannot remember being young enough that I did not have a knowledge that death was a reality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't know exactly why that is. Um, it very much relates to, like, I've had people ask me before, well, when did you decide to be a poet? It's like, well, I never decided <laughs> to be a poet. Yeah. But I can tell you when I, I can definitely remember the first time that I was a poet. Um, and it had to do with death, and I was very young. Uh, so I think it was on a Saturday, because, you know, that's when cartoons were on when I was little how old
0: are you again 28 28
1: okay all right well yeah Saturday morning cartoons yeah, yeah so I'm I mean, like yeah. 16 years ahead but did you still have Saturday morning cartoons yeah, yeah. all right cool yeah that's all I had all the classics <laughs> it was I
0: in my memory I mean I I came up with Nickelodeon I was uh, like a Nickelodeon kid yeah um but Saturday morning was for like uh the classics like Bugs Bunny and fucking yeah. Yeah. uh you know all the all the Looney Tunes sure. you know and all yeah. that yeah. All my yeah yeah, yeah.
1: So, I mean, we had like early morning, a few cartoons, then we had after school, afternoon cartoons, Mm -hmm. and then Saturday morning cartoons. Well, anyway, um, I'm guessing I was probably like six or seven. um, And, uh, oh, I think I might have kicked it. I lost left channel.
0: Yeah, me too. Is that better? These are glitchy. I need to get better headphones. Um,
1: I can still hear my right side.
0: Yeah, we'll just let it... We'll okay, let it. Cool. Yeah, it doesn't hurt my feelings. Yeah.
1: Um, so there was a... It was initially a book, but then it was made into a movie called uh, Watership Down. Hmm. Not, um, not familiar. I think it's Watership Down. Yeah. Anyway, I was not a big fan or whatever, one way or the other. Um, but let me look that up just to make sure I'm saying that right. That I'm not derping out. But anyway, there's this part... In the movie, which, um, yeah, Water Ship Down, um, by Richard Adams, uh, yeah, so that was published in '72, a few years before I was born. But anyway, they made it. It was it was a longer. Oh, I just got my my left channel back. Did you sweet? Uh, I was laying on the sofa in our mobile home. And it was before my brother was born, so I had to have, I guess, been younger... Seven or younger, seven and a half or younger. And my parents, I think, were outside working in the yard or whatever. And I'm just laying on the couch like, you know, a goofball probably in my one-piece Superman (laughs) pajamas or something like that. Mm -hmm. And there's this part where, as I recall, I've never watched it again that that I can think of, but this one rabbit gets stuck in a trap and it's bleeding. And you know, it's this like slow motion. It's kind of this yellowed old you know, very dated looking animation. But I remember the blood uh running off of this rabbit and it's emoting, you know, and and, and uh grimacing in pain and I thought I I actually I think that the the rabbit didn't die but at that time i thought it was dying and i remember making a conscious decision in my head or or a, i remember a hope being in my head and i looked out at the door and i was seeing if any if my parents were coming in because i was number one i was crying because i mm-hmm. felt sad for the rabbit mm-hmm. but there was a conscious thought in my mind that said I hope my parents don't come in right now because I want to experience this undistracted. Mm-hmm. Whatever this experience is, this negative emotion or this scene, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. whatever my reaction, it was, I wanted to experience it in an undistilled fashion with as little distraction as possible. And that is something, if a person is going to be. A writer, uh, especially if nonfiction or a poet or whatever, I think that's something that you have to embrace because you can't look away Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. from the thing, you know, and when it's a beautiful thing, it's easy to not look away. You want to look. But if you're going to be faithful to record things and get as close to, you know, the real Mm -hmm. as you can, you have to stare the motherfucker right in the face, right? And that was the first time I remember processing a thought like that. And so I would say that was the moment that I became a poet. Mm. Although I'd actually written a poem or two before that. But hmm. but truly speaking, um, when I I made a willful decision to look at the thing that... That was it,
0: making you uncomfortable, yeah, making, was making you me sad. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: And absorb it. For whatever it, it was worth, and, and, and let yeah.
0: yourself feel it instead of shutting it away. Yeah,
1: um, but uh, but anyway, you know. I mean, it's uh, it's just such a <laughs> it's almost like tautological because this is what we are. But it is a tough thing being a human being, mm-hmm. um, because it doesn't matter, you know. How wise The people in your family Who came before you were It doesn't matter What they accomplished Or didn't We all Start Functionally speaking At zero We all have to start Over again Mm -hmm. And we have to learn The stuff You know We have to learn The things We have to learn The lessons We have to learn This means the stove is hot When it's red We have to learn You know These very rudimentary things To the most complex things Mm Mm-hmm And it's tough, you know, and there's going to be some moments, uh, which, I mean, that's the thing when I flip back through just the shit I've written over the last couple of years is the worst, not all of them, the worst days, definitely number one and number two of my life happened in the last two years. And then a couple, several other uh, of some of the worst days of my entire life have happened in the last two years. But the worst ones ever were in the last two years. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's been plenty of shitty days across the years. There's been a a lot more good ones. But this is the thing. In this same last two year span, several of the best days of my entire life have Mm -hmm. been in this last two years. And th- that fact, that experience, and, you know, there are people that have been through similar things that I have in the last few years. There are people who've been through other things, but I think it would be hard pressed, or you would, or I would be hard pressed to find any adult person, probably child too, that has not gone through some, Unique difficulties in the last couple of years that they maybe hadn't, or to that extent before. Mm -hmm. Um, And through all of that, you know, we, I mean, we don't have to, but we can choose to keep growing through those things. At the very least, getting experience. I mean, experience, it's, you know, like some things just whip your ass in life Mm -hmm. you know you can't even necessarily show i grew through that necessarily i didn't like learn a lesson through it but i fucking made it through it and that's experience and experience is a fucking diamond man because if all it did was teach you that you made it through that then the next time you're facing some shit that's looming over you can be you can at least look back and say look at what the fuck i made it through Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like this is not a very difficult thing from the last year, when I knew that that was going to happen, I said to another person, I said, if losing my son didn't take me out, do not think this will take me out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just experience. I, you know. I, um, but.
0: I hate to even ask a question like this, but do you think... Do you think most people like don't don't let themselves feel the emotion that you felt when you saw the rabbit die? You know, like because that almost is what it seems to me, and I don't want to make that assumption, but it's like I think some people, um, man, like the truth is ugly a lot of times, and I think. Some people choose to ignore it, you know. Yeah. Subconsciously or otherwise. Um And I I I I suppose that's that's their right, you know. Yeah.
1: I mean the thing is, I mean, this is like a stupid maybe <laughs> quote. But you mentioned Looney Tunes. Mm-hmm. Uh I think it was Daffy Duck. There's this quote where he said, I don't like pain, it hurts me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. you know, like uh So I think it is instinctive in us in a biological sense, as you have mentioned earlier about something else before. Like if we feel pain physically, it's our, you know, uh, reflex to pull away from it. Right. And that's very true. I think emotionally, you know, and, um, uh, I have, with injuries and things like that, I've had some horrible physical pain in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, None of that has been as bad at its worst than the worst emotional pain I felt. Um, I think, so, functionally, like, your question being, do you think that human beings tend to, like, functionally try to look away if, if we create like a figure of speech, like look away. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think, yes, because, you know, if something's uncomfortable or disturbing or hurtful or makes you sad emotionally, then, you know, our reflex is to try to like stop it, mm-hmm. you know, if we can. And then if we can't, it's the next thing we would want to do is, is mitigate it. And I think that's where, you know, you have uh, just a culture of... Well, it's definitely in our culture that, you know, if you pour enough alcohol on something, it will numb it. If Mm -hmm. you take enough oxys or this or bars or Mm -hmm. that or this or the next thing it will numb it Mm -hmm. you know and I'm not getting into things should should they be criminalized or legal or whatever that's not even the fucking question I'm talking about Mm -hmm. is I think the answer to your question is if you look at what we do as people to numb it that answers your question Mm -hmm. Mm um um But that doesn't fucking help a lot of times. It only exacerbates the problem because, you know, sure, there are times where it sounds really good, man. Especially when, you know, it's just bad and it's like you don't feel like you can get away from it. You know, the the pain where it makes perfect sense on so many levels just to grab a fucking fifth man and numb out for the night or two days or whatever. The problem is every problem that you had is still, still there, there. Yeah. on the other end of it. Right. And if you start to reinforce that same destructive behavior over time, it's going to take a toll on you. And now you have the first problems and now you have other problems Yeah. yeah on right. top of it. And now you have interpersonal problems, you know. Um, so it is uh, very much akin, for example, to to like cold exposure therapy. Yeah, you know, yeah, taking yeah. cold showers or things like that. It it's very uncomfortable.
0: Highly, like one of the more uncomfortable things you can do. Yeah, I, I do it periodically. It's yeah, yeah. Um, yeah.
1: I, most every shower I end with a cold, mm-hmm. you know, turning mm-hmm. cold and just standing there. It feels like you're being a dumbass because everything in your body says, this is not good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, this yeah. does not feel good. Yeah, yeah, Stop doing the thing, right? 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 Turn it the other way or get out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are benefits to it, mm-hmm. so force yourself to do it. Well, you force yourself to do it enough, now it became a habit. You, you start to see the payoff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you. Create a certain amount of, and I'm not like I love pleasure too. I love the good, the good life. I like the stuff. You're you know not I mean? a masochist. No, no, not right. at all, not at right. all. Right. Um, but in anything that you're going to do that's difficult and worthy, it takes a certain amount of resistance. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to mm-hmm. get stronger, you're going to have to tear up muscle fibers, and they have to be built I'm, back. I'm, again. I'm
0: literally so glad you chose that word because, not to cut you off, but I was listening to somebody the other day, um sort of a fitness guy mm-hmm. who's basically claiming that like a lot of our sort of sports medicine is kind of based in like flawed assumptions mm-hmm. um and that like you know he's a big fan of resistance work, uh pulling sleds. Mm-hmm. Um he says like the best thing you can do for your knees is to like pull a sled like backwards like walking backwards you know and um sort of functional fitness was his whole like kind of pitch and the argument being that like you need the strain you need the stress sort of in multi-directional ways and in Yeah, you don't just get on the, on the lifting machine and do a hundred reps of the same freaking thing, you know, because what that is doing is opening up sort of the, the, I got, I got to quit talking with my hands when I got the microphone in front of me, but, um, so animated. Yeah. But he, he's basically talking about how that allows the fluids to then kind of like get into the joints and lubricate the joints and you know, yeah. yeah. And, um, and how even the basic advice of rest, elevate, compress, and ice, you know, is like the opposite of what you often want to do, you know, with like a with a minor injury, we'll say. Like movement is probably the better solution, like nine out of ten times at least. And, you know, it makes me think of sort of like, I think there's a lot of flawed logic and a lot of false assumptions and this issue of uh, memento mori, you know, I think a lot of people operate with a basic denial of their own eventual demise. Mm-hmm. You know, we all obviously know we're going to die, but some of us allow ourselves to believe it and others kind of <clears throat> want to, you know, do everything they can to live, forever, right? And um I I suppose it's nobody's place to like go telling everybody like, "Hey motherfucker, you're going to die someday." Like maybe, you know, let them live their their sort of false existence. It you know, this whole thing about the, you know, people going to be living in the metaverse in a very short amount of time and you know, who am I to stop them you know what I mean uh, but I can't imagine myself being satisfied it's like I can I can live in this world even if it is a goddamn simulation because I'm, I'm I don't know if it is or isn't but to to voluntarily plug myself into a false world and and even if that's the thing is it's gonna offer you know infinite pleasure and and sort of that button that the rat can push to get the instant dopamine hit. And he ends up just doing that every day till he dies. You know, like people are going to live that way. We already kind of are a lot of times, um, getting those dopamine hits like you're talking about. Right. And this issue of adversity and of resistance and of like, um, intentionally subjecting oneself to discomfort and, and, Strain, mm-hmm. you know, it's like that was a big theme in my education. Uh, studying outdoor recreation, you know, I did a semester of outdoor leader, you know, full semester of outdoor leadership training. Um, you know, one of the instructors, his entire thesis was on sort of the idea of development of grit. You know, which is you know, it's like to write an abstract, uh, you know, sort of academic, you know, paper on. <laughs> grittiness you know it's pretty subjective right it's not doesn't sound all that scientific but in terms of outdoor education it's a very common topic of like because it's a it's observed that by taking people out of their comfort placing them in a natural setting with limited sort of resources and and almost no luxuries right you can improve that person dramatically in a relatively short window of time there's a reason for all these sort of like brat camp programs um you know it's common for like kids with attention problems to take part in these outdoor sort of programs um because there's a measurable difference in sort of like attitude where it's like oh you know this thing i've been dealing with in my life back home like yeah it's uncomfortable yeah it sucks but it doesn't suck as bad as freezing my ass off on top of a mountain in the middle of a sleet storm or whatever. (laughs) And, um, or at the very least, like I've been through that, like this might suck even worse, truthfully on an emotional level, whatever I'm dealing with. But, but I've made it through that. Like I survived that cold ass week out in the freaking out in the, you know, in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Like if I can do that, I can do fucking anything, you know? And, it's um, I think it's one of the biggest false assumptions of our particular American sort of way of being is like you get home at the end of the day, kick your you know kick your food, your, your shoes off and veg out in front of the tube and make yourself nice and comfortable, like maximum comfort, and it's, it's a dangerous sort of way to live because uh I mean, obviously it takes a toll on your health physically but like mentally it's no good mm-hmm. you know you can see like the way I I, we were talking about sort of embodying freedom like living in practical freedom and cultivating that um, that's a big thing for me always has been it's like just at an instinctual level I was drawn to camping of all things and I didn't realize it at the time but it was just like as a kid I just wanted something that wasn't wasn't cozy, you know, right? And uh I don't know, I feel like I'm rambling here, but there's something to that where it's like I honestly you are you probably you're probably right where like there's something about that that type of person, you can't really be a writer without it, I don't think, where you're you're not just willing, but you almost have no choice, right? But to stare the truth dead dead in the face.
1: Yeah. Well, and it- One office of writing that I wasn't thinking about at the moment, but I'm thinking about, uh, you know, a good journalist is supposed to observe and report functionally, Mm -hmm. you know, and if you're going to write the truth of what's going on, if it's a good thing, that's great. I hope that there is a lot of that. But if, if something's a shitty circumstance, you can't turn it into a fucking pop-up book. You know what I mean? You have to observe it. You have to, to take it in. You have to write it as best as you can. How it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean... But whether it's staring something difficult in the face in a figurative sense in life, a circumstance that's difficult, or... Whether it is putting your physical body through um, a certain amount of resistance exercise or lack of comfort in order for growth to be stimulated. And then the, the mental payoff to that is now you can appreciate the fact that, look what I did. I did something that was uncomfortable or painful or whatever. And then that inspired growth In my body or strength in my body Or greater movement, range of motion in my body And that gives me A sense of satisfaction and payoff Because it didn't just get handed To me, I had to earn it mm-hmm. You know, and then um, Then that makes you want to then Do something similar again, you know Like, you know, hiking on a mountain Or whatever, you know, it's like This is hard, there's a lot of resistance I'm climbing up, you know, it's it was warm. Now it's cold. Now it's raining. Now it's warm again, you know, whatever. Um, we're soggy. We almost quit, but we made it to the top or we made it however fall we, we made it. And we made it home. Yeah. We made it home, you yeah. know, and that, you know, many times will then inspire someone to want to do the same thing again, mm-hmm. you know, because there is a payoff to mastering things that are difficult, you know? Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I, I mean, I guess, uh, <laughs> as we're like, we, we've we covered a lot of territory. We right?
0: have, as we um, often do. We, yeah, yeah. yeah, we do.
1: Um, is this the third time I've been on here? At least. Fourth time.
0: Well, with all the bike nights. and the, Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah I, I bet you this is night, four yeah. or five, man. Yeah, okay. yeah That
1: one. And then the one with the roach. Yeah, Maybe the one with the roach. Yeah. yeah, if we throw that one in. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean... I think, so if someone's training for something in the military or in sports or whatever, you're training functionally when you don't have to be doing it to build the strength for when you're in that rubber meets the road situation that Mm -hmm. now you have it. Mm -hmm. Okay, what is, say, something like remembering the fact that you will die beneficial okay well hopefully that's not the day you're gonna die right or the day that somebody else is going to die or well, thinking about, maybe it
0: makes you take it seriously enough to make sure that it's not the day you die yeah you yeah. know taking precaution sure. let's say yeah. yeah
1: but in essence mentally exercising yourself in difficult thoughts to a reasonable extent you know it's not mm-hmm. like you can just sit around just foaming at the mouth on you know everything's you know gonna end up in the heat death of the universe or something like that. You know, you'd be bummed down. But, um, in essence, you're functionally doing some difficult mental exercises so that when the real shit happens, mm-hmm. it's not like you've never been through these arcs of thought. You've never gone through these difficult things, you know. And uh, it's just, functionally, it's a, it's a form of mental exercise that makes you stronger in spirit and resolution and intellect whatever it may be um so that when the difficult times come then you have the strength as it were to tackle that thing you know or to help somebody else tackle that thing
0: right you Right. Know?
1: to be a support for somebody else you know
0: yeah 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 you know, i feel like maybe that's what i need to like honestly you know it's kind of like a lot you know i'm guilty as the next guy as far as your first gut reaction is to try to like make people aware, right? It's very hard to make people aware. Um, better course of action is to be a support to those who maybe are becoming aware, you know, or what have you. Um, and that can look a lot of different ways, but it's um. I I am I'm very interested in doing as much good as I can. And in my mind, uh, my role is to promote sort of decentralized thought, which is, you know, whatever, anarchy, right? That's a hard pill for people to swallow. Uh, (laughs) So when you do swallow it, it's nice to have, like, a shoulder to lean on, right? You can't make anybody swallow that pill, but you can be that shoulder to lean on once they do. You know, it's... I'm not I'm not claiming that anarchy is the only answer or the only valuable thought. You know, there's there's value in a lot of different ways of thinking. Like you said earlier, sort of the uh <laughs> it's why I'm an anarchist is like the idea of the self-regulation of chaotic, you know, varied factors, right? So I don't have to like hate somebody because they're a statist, as I might call them, you know, they're doing their thing just like I am. And in this chaotic interaction, my hope is that generally speaking, freedom prevails. Um, but, you know, it's like, <clears throat> I always talk in circles and I have a hard time. It's more like a spiral, you know, I'm trying to come to the point, but I keep I keep getting downward spiral. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> uh, but you know what I'm getting at? It's like, um, I do want to be generally like positive, Mm -hmm. right? I don't want to be negative. Um, and I know how hard it is to like swallow that pill. I can empathize. I know how hard it is to do hardship because I voluntarily put myself through it already. You know, I read the books, they churned my stomach when I read them. And it's like, I know, I know it's uncomfortable, but like, you know maybe i can help you through it a little bit you know and that's just um i don't know man it's just kind of like the the course to take here you know for for i think a lot of people are recognizing we're at a like shift we're at a point of you know it's like it's time to kind of move on from this past couple years of craziness, and and find our way forward, ideally, like, better than we have in the past. And maybe, you know, these rough couple of years will, in time, like, in hindsight, will say, well, yeah, we developed some fucking grit during that time, right? Like, we are better for it. Um, I really hope we don't look back and say, fuck, we really... Or worse for it. You know, it's like that's my fear. That's why I, I harp on the issue of of government and of like how much influence will we let them have on our life, like in a practical, real day to day sense. You know, like today I went on a rampage posting a compilation of videos where people are getting arrested for not showing their cards, not showing not wearing a mask, you know, getting thrown in the back of squad cars for basically just existing, you know, and there, there, there is an important issue going on there, you know, and it's like, it's easy enough for most of us to just ignore that kind of stuff. Cause we don't see it with our, with our direct eyes, you know, but like, man, I, 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 I don't know what. I don't know what to say, you know, can't solve, can't solve it all. You know, can't, like you said, it's good to stay like within your, what I've heard described as, is like the sphere of influence and the sphere of control and, um, and then beyond that. So it's like three concentric rings, right? At the center is control. The next ring out is influence and the ring beyond that is concern you're always going to care about things beyond what you can influence or control, but it's important to not let that concern grow astronomically larger. You know, it's like keep it in proportions, right? Um, yeah, man, we do have a way of bouncing around and covering a lot of ground, but I, I, I think it's all good shit, man. That's why I keep having you on the show. We'll cover more at Waffle House too. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to, do you want to go get a bite? Oh yeah, sure. Sure. We could take the recorder with us, and you know, if we want to keep talking and recording, we can, but yeah, I'm almost ready for a little change of scenery, man. Sure. Yeah. I'll get
1: some, I'll get some eggs and bacon or whatever.
0: I'm, 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 I'm a little bit hungry, and the Waffle House sounds nice. Uh, right on. Well, thanks for coming out. Yeah. Thank you, man. <laughs> cool. We'll see you at the Waffle House. <laughs> this has been Mike the Polymath with the Easy Peasy Podcast come back again.